Welcome to the E-Commerce Fuel Podcast, your headquarters for building a six-figure-plus e-commerce business. I'm your host, e-commerce entrepreneur and Jeff Bezos wannabe, Andrew Derry. Hey guys, it's Andrew here and welcome to the E-Commerce Fuel Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Today, I've got Austin Bronner on the program from ecommerceinfluence.com. And we're talking specifically about the Canton Fair. Austin just got back from the fair over in China in April, just a month and a half ago or so. And I've never been. I would love to go. Uh, And he, of course, just got done with the process. And so we talk about how everything worked, uh, the logistics behind it, if you're interested in going, what you need to do, how the process works, what you should be thinking about. All things Canton Fair is uh, is what's on the docket for today's discussion. But first, quick uh, quick update from my end. Just getting ready uh, at the beginning of June here to to bring on board the content and community manager I hired for for e-commerce fuel. I think I found someone that's a great fit. I'm excited to introduce you to uh, to her. Hopefully, at a, on an episode in the future, just to kind of talk about the process, but also talk about her e-commerce background. She's got a cool background in e-commerce, and excited to be able to do some hopefully uh, you know some additional exciting things with uh, with a couple extra sets of hands in terms of more content, in terms of stepping things up in the private community. So just excited to have have her come on board soon and hope to do an episode about the hiring process there in the future. And then also this last couple of weeks just released a pretty big post uh, about Shopify versus big commerce. If, you know, if you're in the space, you know that those are probably, probably the two most well-known hosted platforms. And usually if you're looking for a hosted platform, more often than not, those are the two people end up trying to decide between. And so I got a little hands-on and decided to build a store with each one, a store selling uh, MC Hammer parachute pants, which if you're you know, 30, or 30 or 35 or older, you know what those are. And if, if you're not, you should Google them because <laughs> they're, they're pretty retro and, and crazy. Anyway, created stores selling uh, both of those and uh, just compared them head-to-head pros, cons, and gave an opinion on both. So if uh, this would be something you're interested in, check it out at ecommercefuel.com. And finally, got to do a first sell shout out. And this one's coming in from Christopher Gimmer of bootstrapbay.com. And he writes, after reading some of your posts, I stopped trying to create the next big thing and instead focused on filling a required need within a profitable niche. This led to launching bootstrapbay.com, a marketplace for theme and templates built off of the Twitter bootstrap framework. We're starting to gain a bit of traction and recently had our first sale. Thank you. Chris, that's awesome, man. Congratulations. I love how you know, you're focusing on really filling a need, not just not necessarily trying to, to build the next Facebook or the next MySpace. I'm not sure if anyone wants to build the next MySpace. That didn't end so well, but, but you get the idea. But uh, good work on, on um, finding a niche need and trying to fill it. And best of luck. Hope things keep going on the up and up. And if you've got a, a first sale that you'd like to celebrate or even just a big accomplishment in your existing e-commerce business, I'd love to hear from you as well ecommercefuel.com forward slash contact. Drop me a line, let me know, and I'll do my best to get you on the show. All right, let's go ahead and dive in to today's discussion. Austin, thanks so much for coming on. I'm excited to talk China and specifically the Canton Fair, so thanks for the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. So we're going to be diving into the Canton Fair, the logistics, how to, um, you know, how to make the most out of that, that trip if you do head over there for the fair. But quickly, can you give folks a brief background on your experience in China? Sure, yeah. I've spent 
I spent almost almost a year and a half now in China. I actually got a Fulbright scholarship after I graduated from college to go live in China in in Macau. And um, I was working, studying, teaching over there for the year, and I met. It was the best experience of my life. I met so many people involved with import export, like almost all my friends. I played rugby over there for for a year, and almost all my friends of the rugby team were in, somehow involved with import export. And so they got me really excited about exporting goods from China to the U.S. And that's kind of how my background. That was like five years ago now, and that's the reason I ended up coming back this year was because of all the time I'd spent over there and the connections I'd made, and like being able to, to like talk to somebody and say, "Hey, like, what is this Canton Fair all about, and how can I get involved?" The best way to kind of maximize it. I've wanted to go really since about 2009, and had <laughs> I had a. A kind of a failed venture in bamboo clothing exporting, but I literally knew nothing about business because I just finished college. Very cool. You said Macau. Is that the place? Is that like China's version of, of, of Vegas where all the gambling and crazy stuff goes on? Is that the same place I'm thinking of? Yeah, same place. Okay. It is incredible how much, I mean, I think it's almost twice as much gambling there as it is in, in Vegas. It's, it's amazing. It's a really, really cr- incredible place. Is it kind of like Vegas where it's just a, it's a, an entertainment destination in general, or is it really focused on gambling? Like, would you recommend, I mean, should people, is it worth checking out for people who aren't hardcore gamblers? I mean, it's definitely worth checking out because it's a really cool city, but it's, it's different from Vegas. And since there's no, there's no shows, there's very few shows. It's not the bar scene. People don't really even drink that much alcohol. They usually go and like drink tea and then gamble super, super hard. So the, the tables are filled like every night. Tuesday through Sunday, gambling tables are just filled. That's crazy. Did you gamble at all? Like, well, I, I'm sure you got a little bit, but is that something you partook in a whole lot while you were over there? You get to be a crazy poker player or something? I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't actually do that much. Honestly, like being around it so much, it was crazy. I'd see people in like full-on business suits, like begging basically because they lost all their money. So after being there for a couple of months, I was just oh like, gosh. you know, I'm not that interested anymore. It was fun for like the first couple of months. And then, yeah, you see some just crazy stuff and you're surrounded. Like I looked outside my window and I would see like seven different casinos. That's crazy. Probably similar to growing up in Vegas. You know, you don't want to yeah. stay away from, from gambling addiction. Go spend, yeah, even go spend three months in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you mentioned the Canton Fair and obviously that's what I want to really get um, uh, to dive into. So for those that may not know what it is, can you kind of give a sense of what is the Canton Fair? Sure. The, um, the Canton Fair is the largest trade show in Asia. It's really where people go to find Chinese goods and export them to the U.S., to Europe, Africa, Middle East, all over the world. And it is, it is massive. I mean, it, it's, I've been kind of looking at the numbers because when I was there, it was, it was almost hard to believe how big it was. So if you, if you think about the largest NFL stadium, the Superdome in Dallas, it's 670,000 square feet, and the Canton Fair is 3.7 million square feet. So it's about 5.5 times bigger than the largest NFL stadium, and, which is it's insane. And it's, yeah, it's where everything that gets exported from China kind of runs through, and you can go meet with factory owners and find amazing products to, to bring back to your home country. And so why was it that you went? Were you looking for a specific product that you were trying to source? Were you, were you brainstorming? What was the goal? Yeah, I was actually going for two reasons. So one was to find product ideas and brainstorming because 
that's really what the Canton Fair is great for. And so I was walking around just trying to find products to bring in, import, and brand, and then sell on both Amazon and on my own website, like creating a product niche idea, that sort of thing. And then also, the other thing I was looking for were products that could kind of complement an existing core product offering for some of my clients. So I've got clients in the wine industry, in the bracelet jewelry industry, sunglasses, lots of different industries. And one of the easiest ways to boost your average order size is if you can kind of figure out a way to upsell people or cross-sell people into different products. Um, So I was looking for products like that. And like, for example, if you sell wine, one of the quickest ways to just boost your average order size is if you can have them add on a wine opener or a really cool wine bottle stopper, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, so you're kind of dual purpose. And, and the fair, you went this last, was it March or April? Just a couple months ago, a month ago? It was, it was April. So the end of April, I actually went to, uh, yeah, it, it happens in April and actually happens in October. So twice a year. And then there's different phases, right? Are there three phases in each? I mean, it happens twice a year, and each time it happens, there's three phases, and it's broken up by different category? Yeah, so it's so, it's so big. Each phase is about half a month long. So there's phases. They're called phase one, phase two, and phase three. Phase one is really electronics-focused. Anything from electronics, then even have like vehicles, spare parts, hardware, tools, machinery, building materials. That's phase one. Phase two, which I went to, was more consumer goods, gifts, household items. They had like couches, the furniture, that sort of thing, (laughs) which is crazy. They bring it all in and then move it all out in like three days. And then also then phase three is more office supplies, cases, bags, medicine, medical devices, health products, and then like textiles. Jesus. And you said each phase lasts for, it lasts for a month. Is that right? No, each phase lasts for four days. Four days. Okay. And so each phase is like, it's like one week and then they move everything out. So they move everything in between those three days. So like basically Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, they move everything out from the previous phase and they move everything in for the next one. Then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is actually when the fair, you can attend the fair. Okay. And what do you have to do in terms of registering? I guess, what's the cost involved and what do you have to do logistically to to sign up for it? Do you have to register for it? What goes into the logistics of actually getting there? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And it was, it was actually hard to figure this out. So I decided I want to go in January and I started looking and researching to try to figure out what I had to do to actually get over there and, and make it a reality. And there's, there's literally like no information. It's very hard to find. So what I, I kind of sort of wrote down notes about what I did. Before you get there, the main things you need to do are get your invitation card. They call it an IC card. You need to book a hotel. And it's super important to do this early because Guangzhou, the prices for hotels just skyrocket during the Canton Fair because there's over 150,000 people that come in for for the fair. So there's just incredible demand and the price is double or triple. So you got to book them early and you got to book a flight. And, and so, so Austin, sorry to interject, but you said get your invite card. How do you, I guess, is, is that just like your, your pass for the conference? And if so, how much does it cost and where do you get it? So yeah, that's, that's the, the pass for the, the conference and you get it on the website, the Canton Fair website. You got to enter all your information about your company um, and then you'll 
you'll basically enter your information. They'll give you a confirmation. And you're not actually going to get your card when you're in the U.S. or in Europe, wherever you are. You'll get your card when you're in China. But you need to have the confirmation of the invitation to be able to take that with you to go apply for a China visa. Mm, okay. and, and so, so that's, it's kind of backwards. Like you would think you'd want to get a China visa first and then you'd like <laughs> apply, get your flight, book your hotel, everything like that. But you can't get a China visa until you have like your flight, your trip dates booked, like, kind of tell, sh- like saying when you're going to be there, how long you're going to spend, where you're going to stay each night. And then also your card from the Canton Fair website where they'll, they'll give you your invitation. I see. And is there a cost to, to signing up for it? So it's free if you register ahead of time. But if you don't register ahead of time, it's roughly like 16 bucks. You can actually do it when you're there, okay. as long as you're a foreigner. Okay. So, and so it's, that's, that's a crazy process. So you, <laughs> so you need everything in place before you. So, you're, I mean, you're not taking, I, I guess, potentially you could have a visa declined for some reason. But it's a pretty safe bet that if you do... You get the Canton Fair admission, the confirmation, you book the flight, you book the hotel, you have the information. That, you have to do that first before you apply for the visa. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you can't, cr- it's, really, it's really crazy because then like the China visa process is actually pretty tough too. Like I had to go in two times. I'm living in, L- in LA and I would show up like 45 minutes before the visa place even opened and I'd still be like the 15th person in a row. So if you showed up on time, you'd have to be waiting like, you know, like four hours just to get your visa. You have to show up in person to get your visa somewhere? You don't. Okay. So in LA, you can show up in person because there's a, there's a consulate there. Oh, okay. But if, if you live in, let's say like, you know, Montana, you can actually send it with somebody else and get it taken care of. But the only problem with sending it is you got to have all your stuff together and, and like have it in the correct form or they can like deny you and then you have to do it all over again. So that's why I went, went there in person because then I like the first time I had to refill out a form is like very bureaucratic you can't just mail it in you have if you're going to mail it in you have to mail it to like an agency who would then take it in and get it done for you okay okay gonna be if i ever do this gonna be making a a long road trip from out here on the sticks and watch yeah no (laughs) (laughs) no you you could definitely mail it in but it's just a little bit more expensive because you're going through an agency so you get you get the visa and then you can apply for that visa. I'm guessing just on a you know you do a Google search for Chinese visa and, and it'll pop up the the details. Is there anything special you need to know about how to apply for that visa? Uh, the only thing special you need to know is that, like I mentioned, you got to have all your your flight information, the hotel, the invitation card from the fair is really important, or you need to have an invitation from a Chinese citizen. So you actually need to be invited to China. And that's to be able to get a business visa. There's two different types. There's a business and then a tourist visa. And I actually, I actually went on the tourist visa because when I went in there to apply, they like didn't like one of my forms. And they're like, okay, you can't get a business visa because you don't have the correct form. But we will give you a tourist visa. You just can't go conduct business in China. And so it didn't really matter. But as, like a, as a rule, if you go in and you have your card from the invitation from the Canton Fair, you'll be able to get a business visa. Okay. You were talking before I cut you off, you were talking about hotels and so you want to book ahead of time. With, with Guangzhou, can you, which is where, the, where the, the fair is, I'm guessing you can't just go on a hot wire and book a hotel for Guangzhou. So how, no. do, you, how do you do that? What's that process like? Yeah, it, it's, uh, it is tough. So the toughest thing is to kind of actually get an idea of how big the city is. So it's the official population of Guangzhou is 
14 million, which is huge, 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 right? And most people say it's actually around 20 million because there's like a ton of migrant workers. So it's almost like Los Angeles. And if you think about booking a hotel in LA, you can, if you just booked one in LA, you could get put so far away from where you want to be. So the best place to look is actually called, it's ctrip.com. It's called China Trip. And that's where you can book all your hotels when you're in China. And then really, you're going to want to book that early and you're going to want to find one that's kind of close to like a subway is what you're going to look for. Because if you don't, if you're not close to the subway, you can get stuck in some of the craziest traffic. It's, it's like LA times 10, the traffic there. <laughs> So we'll link up to that site to be able to book all of those those Chinese hotels. And in terms of flying, is it do prices if do airline prices go way up for those two times of the year when the fair is going on? And and any tips for booking? You know, there's always a bunch of hacks for for getting cheap travel. But apart from kind of the standard fare, any anything you'd suggest when you do book those tickets? Yeah, well, it definitely depends on where you are. So I'm I was flying from L.A., so I could, I was actually from L.A. I could even I could fly directly to Guangzhou. From a lot of places, they're actually they might not have direct flights into Guangzhou, and which means you need to fly to Hong Kong. I actually flew into Hong Kong because the price was cheaper, and I wanted to go to Hong Kong for a couple of days. It's a great city. I'd actually really recommend flying from wherever you are to Hong Kong, and then taking a train into Guangzhou. It cost me eleven hundred dollars for airfare from Los Angeles to Hong Kong, and then like it was about thirty dollars or something like that for the train. So. Not that expensive. What is it? Is it a couple hour, two, three hour train ride from Hong Kong to Guangzhou? Yeah, they have a really fast train. It's about, I think about an hour and 45 minutes. It'll take you directly up to the train, the main train station in Guangzhou, which is important because from there you can get on a subway and go like anywhere in the city. Mm, so, okay. and, and actually the train leaves from like dead center Hong Kong as well. And so you can go Fly into Hong Kong, say you're going to you know, do it direct. I would recommend spending a couple of days there. But if you went directly into Hong Kong, you could take a train to the train station in Hong Kong and then get on it, cross the border and go directly to the main train station in Guangzhou in like two hours. Okay, very cool. And so you get into Guangzhou, you got your hotel booked. You, you mentioned getting around. So is subway really the best way to get around throughout the whole city? You're not going to want to take taxis. You're not going to want to take you know shuttle buses from airports, et cetera. Yeah, I, I really recommend the subway. I mean, so like I said, the hotel prices go way up as well as taxi prices. If they, if they guess you're a foreigner, you don't have somebody who can argue with them and a little bit of Chinese. <laughs> so, so it's like, and also the traffic is terrible. So I really like the subway. It's all in English. And if you're... Decent with directions, you can get around the entire city with a with subway. Okay. Um, but also even more important than that, so most of the hotels you're going to find, and this is important when you're picking one, they're going to they're gonna have like shuttles that run, a bus shuttle that runs from the hotel directly to the fair. And that's great if you just want to like get on the bus and go to the fair. You'll end up getting there at around... Well, depending on the traffic, sometimes you'll get around, get there around like 9.30 and like all the buses kind of come in at one time. The fair opens up every day at 9. And so if you kind of get there on the first day and you converge with all the buses at one time, you're going to be in like a crazy, crazy line. So I really recommend the subway because you can kind of time it and get there before all these buses come in from the hotels and drop off like, you know, 60, 70,000 people. And you can get in and get in line and get everything you need taken care of and then get inside the fair. 
Okay, great tip. You mentioned the subways in in uh, in English, and I know a lot of places in China English isn't real real prevalent. So let's talk about interpreter versus no interpreter. I guess did you have one? What went into your decision to to hire one or not hire one? And how much do they cost? Yeah, that's a <laughs> it's a it's a good question. I can't say this enough. Like, definitely have an interpreter. I really would recommend that. Like, I had somebody who was interpreter and an agent who kind of worked with me. There's lots of people out there who probably argue you can get around the fair in English, and that's that's true. You can get around, but you're not really like you're paying somewhat for the language, but mostly you're paying for like the cultural interpreter. Because when you're at the fair and you're like meeting with people, what's not being said, like they may have, everyone's going to have some broken English and some booths will have better English than others. But you don't really want to take the chance of finding the one, like the one booth you like having somebody you can't, you cannot communicate with. And oftentimes like kind of what's not said is just as important as what's said. Because when you're there and you're speaking with somebody with broken English, you might confuse somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing or they're not really trustworthy with just having bad English rather than the fact that they don't know what they're doing. Or if you have an interpreter, they're going to be able to help you understand what this person's all about and give you like the real story of what they're, what they're selling you or, or like how trustworthy they are. And so how much, uh, I guess, stepping back, where do, you, where do you even find an interpreter? I imagine they have, I would guess you get off a bus, or you get off the subway, and there's a, there's a bunch of people who are offering those you know, services. Imagine there's a market there. Do you, do you get someone right there? Do you, do you arrange one ahead of time? Do you need someone with e-commerce experience or product sourcing experience? Really, yeah, really good questions. Um, okay, so yes, you're right. You get off the bus, there's going to be tons of people like waving their hands, being like, like basically like, Pick me, like, I'll be your interpreter, that sort of thing. The only there's like a problem with that, though, is that you sign a waiver that anyone you bring in, you're responsible for. Rough, and you have to pay the fee per day. I think it was $200 for the entire time to bring somebody in with you. And I really wouldn't recommend just getting, some, getting off the bus and trying to find somebody because you don't know if they're trustworthy. You don't know if their English is, <laughs> is like, they could speak fine in like, in like a basically a social setting, but have no idea business language in English. So I would recommend finding someone ahead of time. The way you can do that, I've heard one of the guys in the forum posted about finding somebody on Odesk that has a little bit of experience and like planning that ahead of time. I have a team over there that I work with and I was like at a very trustworthy team that I went over there and already had somebody in advance that I knew and um, could help me out. But definitely have somebody in advance that you can kind of work with who's not just going to be there with you at the fair, but also can help you like kind of down the road when you're, when you're working with them after you leave. Cause when you leave, you're still going to need somebody to communicate in Chinese. Got it. And so what, what does it roughly cost for uh, an interpreter? Well, like I said, so the fee for just to get them in is, was $200 for four days. And I think people are charging like around, like I think it was like fifty dollars something a day, maybe like forty fifty dollars a day. Okay, so it's not egregious, but it's, it's no. You're gonna pay fifty bucks a day or so. Something like that, yeah. Okay, so all in, I mean, with with, with the flights, the hotels, hotels run what fifty, even at the inflated prices, are you gonna pay in hundred dollars a day for a hotel? What's a what's a rough rate for that? So you could pay. I mean, some people go over there, and if you're staying in a Western hotel, you know, you'd be paying three hundred to five hundred a night, that sort of Woo-hoo. thing. Yeah. So you got to, that's also why you got to book early because 
if you try to go to a Western hotel, you're going to pay like through the nose. But China has, a, has so much supply with hotels, there's great values. We ended up spending around $30 each with three people. And we got a room with three queen size beds. It was $30 each per night. So $90. A room with three queen beds. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, so yeah, you could find almost anything you're looking for, but, but it's just, I would just, I would stress going with a Chinese hotel because they're nice and they're clean if you find the right one. And they're going to be way, way less expensive because people aren't typically comfortable staying in a Chinese hotel versus like a holiday inn. Great. So you're looking, I mean, unless you want to be a super big time, big roller, you can do, uh, you can do a trip with airfare, with accommodations, with pretty much everything for roughly two grand or even slightly less than that. Yeah. I spent $2,100 for 10 days. That was $1,100 with airfare, $130 for the visa. So the visa is kind of pricey if you're an American. Mm. It's 130 bucks. It's the same thing that we charge them. So they just did like a reciprocal pricing. We charge Chinese people $130. They charge us that amount. And then I, it was basically around $800 I pulled out. Yeah, so it was all in around $2,100, $2,200 for 10 days. Okay. And that's, that's also with a couple of days in Hong Kong where I was just having, having fun and kind of exploring. So up to now, we've really, man, a lot of logistics to think about. We haven't even stepped inside the fair yet. Yeah, so I know. you stepped inside this beast of, of a convention, you know, enormous. How do you create a plan of attack? How do you, how do you formulate that game plan to, to make the most of your time, but, but also with the understanding that, man, you're just in, in, in an enormous space? Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's so big. The good news is they've done this. They've done this a lot, so they're quite experienced. And you get in there, you get a map, and you'll be able to see, like, it's all broken down. When I was there in phase two, right, it's, like, kind of consumer goods, so it's broken down into sections, like an area for toys, an area for household goods, an area for gifts. And so you can choose and say, like, one day we're just going to hit the toy section. You get a guide, and you kind of start walking and going through. Like I said, there's, like, 55,000 booths. So you got to walk at a pretty, a pretty quick clip to be able to get through. And what you'll notice is that as you're walking, a lot of the booths are kind of similar and you'll be able to, to kind of cruise through and then you'll, something will catch your eye and you'll, be able to, you'll stop and you'll go in and talk to them and take a look and see a product that you really like. You can ask some questions and take some pictures. One of the best things that I, that I did, and I'm, I'm so happy because like I said, it's like five times bigger than an NFL stadium. So you can kind of get lost. And especially on like the third day, you may find a product on the first day you really liked. And to get back to it, it's difficult. So I actually used Evernote. And that was a really good tool. I just charged up my iPhone. And then if I found a product that I liked, I would go up, take a picture of the product, take a picture of the business card of the, uh, the company, and then also take a picture of the, the number on the booth. It's all set up in kind of a grid. So with those three things, you can get back to whatever product you wanted. Okay, really good idea. So you've got, you don't have to try to remember and go back and, and find a needle in a haystack. What, what are some of the, the unsaid yeah. rules for, for talking with vendors? When, when you start you know, chatting up one of the, one of the, the people at the booth, like what, what are some of the things that you might not think of either to ask or things not to say? What are some of those, those rules? Well, there's a couple of things. So well, starting off kind of in general, if you haven't really spent much time doing business in China or Asia, it's like a big kind of business card culture. And 
they call them name cards. And it's really important to come over there with a lot of business cards because almost everyone who you start talking with is going to ask you at one point for your name card. They're like, can I have your name cards? And you really, what you want to do is like present them with a name card with two hands, one on each side and present it the, with the, with your name facing them. That's kind of the traditional way. Mm-hmm. And they will always do that to you. So that's a big part. Once you start talking and they, you ask some questions, they're going to always ask you for, for your name card. I mean, things to ask, there's, not, there's nothing I can really think of like as an unsaid rule except to think that there's going to be 150,000 people. So it's going to be very busy. And oftentimes you'll go and you want to talk to somebody and you, there may be a couple people in front of you. So you kind of have to wait and come back and find a time to, t- to talk to people. One of the things, yeah, that being said also, with 150,000 people, people are always, a lot of people will ask them for like samples and they only usually have one or two pieces. It's kind of ridiculous. There's 150,000 people. They're not going to be able to give away samples to everyone. So I I wouldn't recommend just going up and asking for samples because no one's going to give them to you. What you could do and what actually worked for us, we actually left with with some, some samples was ask them at the last day, hey, can we come back when you're closing up shop? and purchase a couple of these things that we really like. And if you have a good relationship, they usually, you can come back on that last day and they'll actually probably give you the samples. So they don't really want to take them back wherever they're going. Are there many middlemen that actually set up shop? I mean, ideally you want to go and you want to be chatting with the, the factory source, you know, where you're getting that product. So, so I guess two-part question, are there many middlemen or brokers that work the fair? And if so, how do you, how do you, know, you, know, how do you identify them as middlemen and, and not the manufacturer source? It's a good question. It's a question a lot of people ask. So the Canton Fair, I would say the majority of the people there you're going to be talking to are manufacturers. They have to pay quite a bit to be there. And the vast majority, at least in phase two, which I'm familiar with, it was mostly manufacturers. There are middlemen set up. I would say it's, quite, it's pretty easy to tell who's who. And if you have somebody who's an interpreter and is, is Chinese, it's actually really, really easy because you can just have them ask. But if you don't, and still find out by kind of asking them what their pricing, like what their minimum order quantity is, their MLQ. Because if you're dealing with like a manufacturer, they're typically not going to deal in less than like a thousand units and sometimes just like minimum of 3,000. So if they're telling you a minimum of 3,000, you know instantly you're dealing with a manufacturer. Great. That's an awesome tip. What about, what about literature? I've heard some people going over there and you get a brochure or, or, or a catalog. <laughs> and by the, the end of four days, you're like, <laughs> you know, you, you're hauling around 80 pounds of, of paper. Yeah. Um, is that something that you, that you had to do it or is it, how do you manage that? Yeah, that's actually, it's funny because I got there and I was kind of laughing at, at people on the first day when they're walking around with a rolling bag. And I was like, I was like, why are these people doing? They're walking around with like these rolling bags. And then by the end, by like the second day, I was like, okay, I understand. Like people, <laughs> people give you so much, so many brochures and like um, everywhere you go, if you show interest, they're like, here, take our catalog. And it's a catalog that's like a quarter inch thick and it's got every dog collar you could possibly imagine oh or gosh. like, you know, every toy you could, <laughs> like 1500 toys in a little catalog. So you get a bunch of these things. So yeah, if you, I would actually recommend getting a small rolling bag and bringing them around with you. It'll actually it'll save your back because you're walking around so much. Do, do people actually do deals at the fair? Is it is it obviously it's about 
making connections and finding products and, and sources. But how much business actually gets done at the fair? Is it pretty common for someone to say, hey, I love this silver sparkly dog collar, beautiful, negotiate a price, fill out an order for 2,000 units, bam, we're off to the races? Uh, or is that stuff happen almost always after the fair, online or on phone? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think I would say like 90%, at least in, in my the phase I was at, phase two, it was deals afterwards. You go find cool products, make connections with people. You get prices for sure. Like People will give you the minimum order quantity as well as pricing. So you'll have a very, very good idea about what it's going to cost. Obviously, there's, they're going to throw in extra fees afterwards. It's something you can kind of expect. Um, but, but yeah, there's not that many deals. I didn't really see people doing deals at the fair. And also, I wouldn't recommend it because what I would recommend if you do go over to the fair is that you spend, you have a couple extra days, maybe three, four days tacked on to the end of your trip where you actually can go and see the factory that you want to work with. Mm. Really, really important. Especially if you don't have somebody that you, could, that you really trust over there. Like I've got, I've got a team over there and, and somebody who I really trust to kind of oversee all this stuff. And he would go and be the person to go to the factories. If you don't have that, you got to go yourself. It's quite common that people talk. They like pass information back and forth. And then they say, okay, I'm going to go to the factory this next week and meet with whoever is in charge and kind of see how the operation works. And if they're trustworthy, what their quality control is like, that sort of thing. What were your thoughts on, Austin, what were your, your thoughts on the, on the goods in terms of the quality and the pricing? I mean, China has become such a huge integral part of making products in, in the Western world that, you know, 10 years ago, obviously, you could get incredible prices. Today, obviously, it's still going to be very cost competitive there. But did you go there and see, were you blown away by the price to quality ratio? Or was it kind of like, uh, that's okay, but it's not as impressive as I thought? I was impressed. And maybe it's because of the phase that I was in and like the type of goods I was looking at. Uh, I would say some of the stuff that I saw, like the quality was pretty darn high. Maybe it's because it was samples and you have to be really careful that what they ship you is, is actually what you saw when you're looking at it. But I still thought everything was priced really well. I was impressed with the variety of goods. Uh, that's, it kind of was like walking through like <laughs> the bowels of Amazon.com. You see like <laughs> crazy, just like random crazy stuff you'd never have thought of before. And that stuff, it was priced really well. I mean, and I'm kind of in the process right now of placing orders for goods. So I haven't seen the prices jump up much higher than what I was quoted at the fair. But I have heard that sometimes factories will come in at a low price at the fair and then jack up the prices a little bit more with fees and that sort of thing on the back end. But I mean, you're also dealing with manufacturers there for the most part. And those manufacturers are going to be priced really competitively. What was the, the craziest thing you saw as you were walking down? You just were walking and you just almost had whiplash with your neck and you're just like, what is that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, oh, definitely the... <laughs> that, that you can talk about on a, on a, on a fairly G-rated podcast. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there were some, well, there were some X-rated wine holders that were like using the wine as like body parts, uh, that sort of thing, where literally everyone was stopping and taking pictures because they were so ridiculous. I mean, oh my gosh, just in the, in the gift section, there was like a, a square football field full of like porcelain 
angels and like porcelain uh, waterfalls, just like the, the, like the kitschiest stuff you can imagine. I even saw a um, like a, a photo frame that was outlined with shotgun shells. That was pretty ridiculous. <laughs> like it sounds, clearly, like, sounds like good Montana fair right there. Yeah, exactly. Clearly, like the American market. Oh, it was just, it was funny. Lots of stuff. I mean, it really wasn't just like one product. It was the fact that you could look and see all the junk that you've seen at like the junkiest store in your, in your hometown times like 10,000 in like certain areas. It was so big. I wonder if it would make severe minimalists just kind of, you know, go into seizure being in there with all those knickknacks. I, oh man. It's just like, no, yeah. I mean, it just gives you an idea of how, like, the scale of the, the market for stuff like that, though. That was really impressive. Because you're walking around and thinking to myself, people are actually buying this stuff, you know? And, and it's, it's like, when you talk about, like, the long tail and, like, the market for these niche items, and you see it on a scale when you're looking around that, that, that these small little products are supporting hundreds of factories. That was, that was impressive and cool. That is crazy. Anything else people need to know as they're getting ready to, you know, if they're, if they're considering a trip over there? I think something just to think about is that, well, one, it's, you're going to have a great time. I really, if you've never been to China before, it's an awesome place. And going to Guangzhou especially is cool because Guangzhou is like the hub of all things being exported out of China. And if you're an entrepreneur, you can go over to Guangzhou and go to the Canton Fair. And besides just the Canton Fair, you can walk, like go around town and see any product you can really conceive of, especially like electronics or clothing. If you want to go to the fair, it's great. Spend four days at the fair, but you can also go through just Guangzhou and end up in these crazy like little mini cities where six by six square blocks, it's only people exporting watches or only people exporting electronics. So when you get there, you're, especially if you have an interpreter, somebody you, you can kind of take with you around town, they can help you go. You may find a cool product at the fair and then you say, oh, okay, I want to go see more of this. Can you take me to the part of the city where they specialize in selling these watches? And you'll show up and there'll be like a thousand booths in a six-story building where everyone is selling different watches. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're interested in, in like finding cool stuff, you'll just be going crazy. You'll see so many things you could bring back and sell in your home country. It's Disneyland for, for grown-up adult e-commerce entrepreneurs. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It's, it's funny. I mean, one time, though, I, got, I did get lost, though, when, when we first got there, we, like, got out of the subway and took a wrong term and ended up in the middle of this watch selling, like, <laughs> like six stories of people selling watches and nobody spoke English. And we had our bags and we were kind of freaking out. We're like, where are we? We, we thought we were – it took us, like, a half an hour to get back to where we were going just because <laughs> it was just madness, chaos. That's crazy. I, I really want to get over there and hoping to do, do so in the next year or so. So yeah, this has been really helpful, Austin. You know, before we got on uh, recently last week or so, checked out your site, ecommerceinfluence.com and really impressed by, by some of the content and, and posts you're putting out over there. Can you give, give folks a sense, what is e-commerce influence and what are you guys doing over there? What do you got going on in the works? Sure. Well, well thanks, Andrew. We're uh, really excited about it. What we do Baseline, we help e-commerce business owners convert more of their visitors into paying customers. And we really focus on helping an e-commerce owner get from that first million dollars in revenue to $20 million. It's a totally different, 
I mean, you know, you've been, you've grown a couple of e-commerce businesses. Once you get to like that million dollar range, you can kind of hit a stagnation area and we want to help you kind of avoid that and get from a million to 20 million. That's what we focus on at e-commerce influence. We got a podcast and also we're going back to China in October. So we're really, we're interested. I put all this information together. If you're interested in going to China, I put it all together on our website, ecommerceinfluence.com slash China. Uh, it's kind of a guide. It says like what every e-commerce owner should know about the Canton Fair. You can download it. Uh, we're going back in October. If you're interested in coming, um, we're going to be going through the Canton Fair again, finding cool new products and, and doing it in a way that's not going to break the bank. Like Andrew is saying, like you can get in and out for like 2000 to like 2500 but only if you kind of know the right way to go about it. Now you got your target customer down perfectly. You know, people with a million dollar business, kind of 60 to 90 seconds. What is it that you guys do for those, those clients, those people with a million dollar business to really help them get to the next level? What's that value add that you're bringing specifically? Sure. Well, we first focus on helping you decode your analytics and get like a framework for what you need to do to make the next gains in your business. So we, we focus on that. And then what we specifically offer is email marketing, lead capture, abandoned cart recovery, a general overview of your website, determine what you need to do to take your website from what it is right now to whatever your goals are, and then help you implement those and provide the marketing firepower behind what you want to do and, um, and help you get to your goals. And you've got professional chops in this. You haven't been doing this for, for three weeks and slapped up a website. You've got, can you talk briefly just to your, your background in, in e-commerce and marketing in general? Sure. Yeah. So I, like I said, I went to China about like five years ago on a Fulbright scholarship. Then I came back and I was like eager to get going and start a business. I do nothing, but I like, so instead of, <laughs> instead of like starting a business, I got hired with a company in Los Angeles. It was a startup. I was like the third employee and I was hired on as like the right hand man. And so what I, my job was to build automated email marketing systems to sell our product, which is like a healthy vending franchise online. And we experienced like ridiculous growth. In three years, we went from like zero when I got there to 10 million and it, in revenue. And that was all through our email marketing sales. And we were actually profiled in like Entrepreneur Magazine and Forbes. And I learned so much about the automated marketing side of the business. I was like leading up the sales team and kind of really wasn't that happy. After about two years, I was like, you know what? I got to go do something else. So I left and I really wanted to help e-commerce businesses because I think it's such a exciting area right now and there's going to be so much growth over the next 10 years. I wanted to help them experience the same like automated sales gains that I'd helped the last company I was with. So I started working with companies and started doing email marketing and then we started <laughs> finding there's so many other things you can do. And then I started finding bigger and bigger clients. One of the guys, he's actually in the e-commerce fuel forum. Evan Mendelson, I worked with Tipsy Elves, and we built a bunch of really awesome systems. Tipsy Elves was on Shark Tank this last December and helped them like overhaul their lead capture system, capture more leads when Shark Tank hit, captured some of the abandoned carts, were numbering in like the hundreds of thousands of dollars because they were receiving so much traffic. Crazy. Well, well, well Austin, 
appreciate everything you've, you've added uh, in terms of tips and tricks and tactics for, for the fair. I know it's going to save at least somebody a ton of time and headache and money when they, when they head over there. It's been a pleasure having you in the forum. You've had a, you know, numerous posts, which have just been super valuable and excited to see what, what happens with you guys and, and how things go over at ecommerceinfluence.com. So thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. It's, it's been great. It's been really fun and I uh, hope it was valuable. If you have any more questions, yeah, head to ecommerceinfluence.com slash China or just email me. It's Austin at ecommerceinfluence.com. But yeah, the forum's great too. If, if you haven't joined the forum, it's a great place. There's a lot of really smart people in there. Yeah, I joined about, was it two and a half months ago now? And it's been awesome. I've been able to, to make great connections and, and learn from some really smart people in e-commerce. Cool. Well, thanks. Appreciate it. It's been awesome having you in there. And man, we should, a little bit of a rabbit trail, but but you pitched me on the podcast and I usually I, I reach out to people to bring them on the podcast and don't accept a whole lot of, of pitches. But but man, your podcast pitch was just, oh, it was golden. It made me like, from a, from a marketer's perspective, I was like, yes, this is how you pitch a podcast or anything. You know, it was a great email pitch. So um, maybe I'll do a blog post in the future, yep. uh, you know, anatomy of a, of a, a really good email pitch but uh, but yeah it's been been a pleasure having you in the community get you back on maybe to talk about pitching people via email at some yeah, point it's so. fun. we'll have to start that topic in the forum in the next week or so, so. i think so it's one of, a topic that's near and dear to my heart so yeah cool well awesome. thanks andrew thanks so yeah. much for having me on hey appreciate it thanks austin That's going to do it for this week. But if you're interested in launching your own e-commerce store, download my free 55-page ebook on niche selection and getting started. And if you're a bit more experienced, look into the e-commerce fuel private forum. It's a vetted community for store owners with at least 4,000 in monthly sales or industry professionals with at least a year or more experience in the e-commerce space. You can learn more about both the ebook and the forum at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again next Friday.